Jesus in his earthly lifetime and his earthly ministry never once saw the masses come to Christ. And if you really stop and think about that, it really ought to turn what we view as success on its head. Um, what he saw was just a few that he was able to teach and train and invest in. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about how Christ left us an example of how to reach a large harvest with a small method. And welcome to this episode of General Order 4, and uh, we're grateful that you're here and listening, and uh, appreciate that very much. I am Simeon Brazel. I'm joined, as usual, by Pastor Brian Stewart. Hello. And we're really looking forward to getting into what God's given us to speak about today. Uh, we wanted to talk about this idea that um, the harvest is large, but the method is small. And uh, we're going to explain a little bit what we mean by that, uh, but we're going to get into it here in just a minute. So, Pastor Stewart, if you want to kind of kick us off um, in the direction that the Lord's put on your heart about uh, having a large harvest but a small method. Sure. I think it's important for us to to get the big picture and, and understand uh, really what uh, Jesus had for us and what he example for us. So if we can look at John chapter 13 and verse 15, uh, Jesus is ministering and teaching his disciples here. He had just washed their feet, uh, and uh, he is ministering to them. And he says this, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, specifically here, he's talking about serving one another and uh, being willing to serve each other. And he had just demonstrated that by taking that basin of water and going around and washing each of their feet. But there's, I think, a bigger picture here that he has given us an example, but his whole life is an example to us. Mm -hmm. In fact, how do you say, well, how do you make that leap? Well, God said when Peter and uh, the others were on the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter suggested that we worship, that they worship uh, Moses and Elijah, God immediately spoke out and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Mm -hmm. Hear ye him. And so twice Jesus was uh, given that testimony by God the Father. So we know that everything that Christ did was an example to us, and he wants us to do as he has done. He, he's not looking for us to come up with new methods. He's not looking for us to come up with new systems in order to accomplish what he's desired to do. Really what we need to do is go back to what did Christ do, and then we need to model our methodology and our systems after his example. And so that's what we see here. And when we stop and think about that, why would Jesus deliberately concentrate his life on comparatively so few of people? Mm -hmm. In last week's episode, we, we identified and, and Brother Doman identified uh, that there was a lot of people following him, but he wanted to what? He was simply willing to just speak the truth. And if people didn't want to follow him, he didn't he didn't argue with them or try and uh, cajole them or, or try and bring them back. He simply gave them the truth. If they'd accept it, they followed him. If they didn't, they didn't. And so he concentrates on this so compared to few. 
it's kind of hard to to wrap our minds around that because we we understand and know that he came to save the world. Mm-hmm. And when we stop and think about saving the world, we stop and we start thinking about large numbers and how are we going to reach the masses. Mm-hmm. But he didn't capitalize on the large number of followers that John had amassed. He didn't go to John's disciples and try and uh, encourage them to follow him uh, in the sense that he was willing to do anything to get them to follow. He was more concerned about them following him because he was the Messiah, mm-hmm. not just because they followed John, who was saying the Messiah is coming. Right, And so... Jesus was interested in really focusing all of his energies on a few. And when you look at that few, the the composition of it, the makeup of it, it's not the brightest among us. It's not the the most uh, likely candidates to uh, bring to maturity so that they can be the leaders to take this message to the rest of the world and to the generations to come. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I, I think that's evident in the life of Christ as you look at his ministry. All you have to do really is to study the life of Christ, which I hope we're all doing. Um, but if you're studying the life of Christ, what you're going to find out is that the biggest and most detailed and most meaty sermons that he gave, he gave to a select few. He didn't give all of that to the masses. He gave that to a select few people. And so that harvest is a large harvest. He wants to reach the whole world with the gospel. He tells us um, five separate times when he records the Great Commission and gives it to the church um, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And he touches on that in a little different way each time. Um, But the essence of what he was trying to say was everybody needs the gospel. And that's true. Um, But... And when he when he had the opportunity to speak to the large crowd, he spoke to the large crowd. But Jesus wasn't trying to speak to the large crowd. He was trying to invest in anyone who would follow him wholly. And we have things upside down a lot of the times because what we're after, um, we think we're a successful ministry if we have a large crowd. Uh, but what are we gauging success on? Uh, we have a misconception as to what success in ministry really is. I think success in ministry is doing what Christ did. Who had the most successful ministry in the history of mankind? I believe that to be Jesus Christ. And if you look at it from our perspective and you look at Christ's ministry, you would say he had 12 guys following him around and one of them was a devil. That doesn't sound like a lot of success to me uh, from an earthly standpoint. So, but if we if we turn over and um, we look at what Paul has to say to the church at Corinth um, in First Corinthians chapter number one verse twenty five, it says, "Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men." So, if the foolishness of God is wiser than anything we can come up with, we need to abandon our method and attach ourselves to Christ's method. What is it that He did? Here in this world, he's God. He had the method correct. He had the stronger, the wiser method, even though it may look like foolishness to us. His method was the right one. (laughs) I think that takes a little bit of self-sacrifice. A few weeks back, uh, Pastor Stewart, you and I were talking about this this exact same thing. And one of the things that, that the Holy Spirit brought to mind for me was that Jesus never saw that great, what we would call success in his lifetime. He never (laughs) saw the masses won. He never saw thousands of people get saved in his earthly lifetime. Obviously, he's doing all of that through the Holy Spirit now um, and seeing that happen. But 
Jesus in his earthly lifetime and his earthly ministry never once saw the masses come to Christ. And if you really stop and think about that, it really ought to turn what we view as success on its head. Um, what he saw was just a few that he was able to teach and train and invest in. And then when Christ had was died, uh, died, he was buried and rose again and then ascended into heaven. After he ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came to indwell the believers, that is when the masses began to be reached with the gospel through the preaching of uh, Peter and preaching of Paul and others. Um, so if Christ never saw that happen, what makes you or I think that we deserve to see that happen? <laughs> it's not really up to us. And the things that are recorded in Acts really shouldn't be used for us as a model of what we're supposed to do, uh, preaching and seeing thousands upon thousands of people saved either, because it, some of that stuff was very much a special circumstance. Um, can we see thousands of people saved when we preach? Sure, if the if the Lord sees fit for that to happen. But you will notice that if you study that out even, they saw lots of people saved and then it slows down significantly. Why? Because now they've got a lot of people that they've got to disciple and bring to maturity. Uh, <laughs> and so they see less and less of that happening. Can you imagine in one day having thousands of people added to your church and now you've got pastoral oversight responsibility for all of those people? Yeah. Um, that's going to slow down everything else for quite a while. And so that's what happens in Acts. But the point here is Jesus didn't see that happen in his lifetime. He saw 12 yeah. and he invested in 12. And what happened after that, that's up to God and what he wants to do with it. But his responsibility was to teach 12. And I think if we would take a step back, be a bit less selfish, frankly, um, in thinking that we're the ones that are going to see these fantastical results and take the time to invest in the people God has given us, perhaps that harvest will happen after I'm dead and gone. And it's really not my responsibility to see the results of what work God's given me to do. It's just my responsibility to do the work. Um, one thing that comes to mind, even for me as a missionary, I go to Australia, I teach and train people. Um, you know, the Lord gives me some people that I'm able to see saved and then disciple. I may never see what happens in that country after, until after I'm long dead, but I'm praying that what God does give me the uh, ability to do that I'll be in heaven what they, as they say, clipping coupons for all of eternity based on <laughs> what I was able to do. Um, because it's not my job to look at the results, but it is my job to do what God's given me to do. And in the short term, that may seem like foolishness. Uh, but the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And my job is to simply to minister to those people that God's given me and to see them come to maturity. I, I like your point. If we can go back to the fact that he, did not uh, focus on the masses, but in the same rate, he didn't neglect them either. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think, you know, if again, we want to be balanced here because did Jesus minister to the masses? At times he did, but there were, you know, he came to save everyone. His mm -hmm. desire is that none perish, but all come to repentance. We're not saying that we're, we're in this taking on this example of Christ and and the fo and bringing attention to the fact that his highly uh, intensified focus was on these 12 disciples and and even then you can even make the argument then the three uh, of uh, his disciples as well but mm -hmm. 
that doesn't mean when the masses were willing to hear him, he didn't minister to them. And so there's there's a balance between the masses, but his primary focus, and that's, I think, the point we're trying to make, because if you look at it, he was baptized in front of the masses. He preached to the crowds and he healed the sick. He taught them, he fed them, he cast out demons from them. He blessed their children. He ministered to people to the extent of what? Even skipping meals uh, so that he could minister uh, to them. They're the ones that he came to save. They're the ones that, that he loves and that God the Father loves. He's, they're the ones that he wept over. They're the ones that he died uh, on the cross to save them from their sins. So we're not saying in any way, shape, or form that he doesn't want to see the masses one. But when we start looking at the methodology of how did he accomplish the masses, because everything he did with the few was for the benefit of the masses. Mm-hmm. And, he, and this is, I think, something that it took me a while to understand if I will invest like Christ did in some men and and some and our ladies will invest in some ladies and we see them grow to maturity, now we have competent, mature leaders who are able to minister to the masses. And that's when the addition and then the multiplication starts to take place as we see more and more men and women raised up in maturity in the understanding of the Word of God. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what you've been describing, how Mm -hmm. he invested in the 12. Then those 12 invested in many more. And then that continued to grow even to the point where you and I today are saved as a result of that gospel being perpetuated from generation to generation. We've all seen the um, the model or, you know, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard someone say the phrase, each one reach one. Um, mm-hmm. And where that comes from is this idea of the model of multiplication. So each person reaches a person. One becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight, eight becomes 16, and so on and so on. And the idea behind it, the principle behind it of multiplication is correct. Um, it's the idea that if each person reaches somebody and they keep reaching somebody and they keep reaching somebody, then everybody will get reached eventually um, because they're reaching people at an exponential rate and faster and faster and faster because there's more people reaching more people. There's truth behind that. The problem with the method in which we employ that is we put it on such a gospel-only centered point of view to the point that a, a Christian's only responsibility is is to get somebody else saved. Well, now you've got babies birthing babies and more babies birthing more babies and nobody's discipled in that process. And eventually the process stops because there's no maturity for it to continue Um, because babies shouldn't be having babies, right? Mature people should be having babies. And so Mm -hmm. Jesus's way was rather to reach one and teach one. And he spent that time investing in just a few people, not just he's reaching as many people as he can. Men like Nicodemus come to Christ. I believe you see him uh, at the cross later on. So you've got that kind of thing happening. He's still reaching people, but he's really investing in those who are willing to be invested in and then seeing them really reach and invest in other people. That's the ministry that Jesus focused on. It's not just reach one, each one reach one. It's 
each one teach one and investing in those people and seeing them come to maturity in Christ because that is how those masses will eventually be reached. It's not going to be by just surface gospel handing out tracts and knocking on doors. It's going to be by investing intentionally in the individuals in small settings and then those people doing the same thing and those people doing the same thing. That is how uh, I believe this large harvest gets reached through a small method. I think another principle that we could look at uh, is the fact that Christ has told us that if we please men, then we aren't doing the work of God. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I think, as as pastors, as ministers, as even church people, we want to see masses come to know the Lord as Savior. And I think that's the same heart that the Father has and that the Son has. Mm-hmm. The difference is how we go about accomplishing that. Right. And when we understand that if I impress the crowd or if I impress man, and I'm and Jesus said you if you do that, you're not doing the work of the Father, you're not doing God's work. So when we look at his example, he wasn't really into impressing the crowd. Um, we find in First Corinthians chapter 15, in verses 20 through 28, we find out that here God identifies for us God's order. And he says, in Adam, we all die, which is not a new concept. Uh, when you're in Adam, you're going to die because mm-hmm. there's the curse. But in Christ, all shall all be made alive. And so if I'm in Christ, and that means I put my faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead for the salvation of my sins, just the way the gospel or just the way the scriptures recorded it. Then I am in this position of being in Christ. Every man is going to be in his order. Christ is the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming, verse 24. Then he says, Then cometh the end. So here we get a snapshot of what Christ was working towards and is working towards in you and I and through us to accomplish. He says, And when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And that's going to happen in the second death at the great white throne judgment. What is he saying here? He is working in the end. He's going to take this kingdom that he's established, the kingdom of God, and he's going to give it back to the Father who gave it to him. So what is Jesus working towards? He's working towards a kingdom. He is looking to populate a kingdom. In order to have a kingdom, you've got to have a king and you've got to have subjects. Mm -hmm. And so he is looking to populate this kingdom with the subjects that are willing to submit to his authority. And we do that beginning with salvation and then growing and maturing into Christ-likeness. And so this big picture, this is what he's working toward. He's not interested in impressing the crowds. He's not interested in in, in seeing the devil's subjects uh, impressed with what we do. He wants them to understand and be impressed with him so that they will put their trust in him so he can be the example for their life so that they can do what they were created to do, and that is reflect him Mm -hmm. and his light 
to the world around us. And somehow in the mix of this, we get into impressing crowds, we get into impressing people, we get into our methodologies trying to reach the masses. And, I th and I'm not suggesting that our motives may not be wrong, but our methodology many times can be wrong. And a lot of that comes from just, and may I say the word, it just comes from ignorance. Mm -hmm. Ignorance of the truth in a understanding that is spiritually discerned and an understanding that is uh, able to not only read the Word of God, not only understand the accounts of different events that have happened, but actually take those and put them into practice in the way that we minister and the way that Christ, uh, modeling Christ's way of ministering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think if we can be humble enough to get ourselves out of the way, um, we can see where our errors lie. Um, sometimes they talk about it, it, getting out of your own way or getting it, looking at it from someone else's point of view, however you want to word that. But if you take a look at it from God's point of view, what is it that he's trying to do in this world? Mm -hmm. He's trying to build a kingdom, right? That's, that's not my job. That's his job. He said, I will build my church. Um, so if I take myself out of the way, Christ can accomplish his work without me. I'm not that important. Yeah. Um, but what is it that he's given me to do? Is he given me a crowd? No. He might give you a crowd to preach to from time to time. You might pastor an enormous church. Um, but are you really pastoring that church or are you preaching to that church? And there's yeah. a difference. Um, pastoring that church, the word pastor literally means to teach. It doesn't mean to preach. Um so that that comes down to it's shepherding. Um, you're you're supposed to be guiding people. Do you guide people um, in your sermon? Yeah, you can. Uh, there is some guidance there, uh, but that happens on a personal level. It happens on a discipleship level, and you can't perhaps you can't personally disciple everybody in your church. And we gave some practical tips and things on that a few episodes ago. Um, but you are commissioned or you are given the responsibility to give oversight to that group of people. The way Christ did things was small. He did it through a small hand-selected group of people that he could teach, that he could train, that he could maintain. Because you can't maintain 300, 400, 500 people. No human being alive can do that. Yeah. So there has to be a structure by which to do that. And Christ's method was teach the few to reach the many. And so Christ taught the few, and whether it happens in your lifetime or not, that didn't happen in his earthly lifetime, yeah. uh, but he was able to reach the many and is continuing to be able to reach the many. How do you think we received what we got? <laughs> all the way back to the disciples, right? Yeah. Everything that we know now, all of it can be traced all the way back to 11 men with the addition of the Apostle Paul. All of it uh, goes back to those 12 men. Yeah. So Jesus's way was the right way, whether you like it or not. Um, his way is better than ours. And I think if we take the same methods that Christ employed, because he is the example, going all the way back to what, how we started the podcast, because he's the example, and we can look at his life and say, what methods did Christ employ? And now I'm going to take those methods and employ that in what God's given me to do and train the few. And I guarantee you may not see it in your lifetime, but the fruit will be there because that's the method that Christ employed. To kind of 
summarize what we've been talking about here. If we look at this idea of the kingdom, and, and the kingdom has a king, and we know who that king is, it's Christ, and he must reign, the scripture says, and he will put all enemies under his feet. Uh, so he's going to be in charge. So what do we see him doing through the course of the New Testament from the time of him being here on earth and then what he also requires of us as churches in the epistles and in the following rest of the New Testament, what we kind of see is that Christ the King entrusts the responsibility of leadership and stewardship. And that's, a, that's an important word that we remember if for a pastor. We do not have leadership like a CEO. We have leadership more like an, a stewardship. And as stewardship are only entrusted to those who are taught and those are proven. That's by the king. The king only trusts mm -hmm. those and entrusts this leadership and stewardship to those who are taught and those who are proven. And we can look at what Jesus did with the 12 and see he taught them and then he proved them. Mm -hmm. He made sure that they understood it. He made sure that they were grasping it. Because why? Crowds are easily swayed. Yep. I mean, I've I officiate high school sports, and over the years, it's there's been some really ridiculous things that I've seen. There was this one time. This was probably 10, 12 years ago now. But I was standing on the basketball court, prepared in the beginning of the uh, while they're doing their warm ups and everything, and I'm looking around, and the the whoever it was in the gym decided to turn on some music. And uh, obviously the music was not anything that I appreciated, but it was music nonetheless. And uh, as soon as that music turned on, there was this group of students, the gym wasn't too busy at that point. Uh, there was this group of students who were sitting in the bleachers. And it was almost as if you turned a light switch on and the effect of the light was immediate. This music came on and these young people who were sitting there, very still, very well-mannered, began to uncontrollably gyrate. Many people might call it dancing. <laughs> but uh, they began to move to the sound of that music. And the thought that I had, and I think it was the Holy Spirit that was communicating to me and showing me, it says that this guy, whoever the person was that turned on that music, had control of the crowd immediately. Mm-hmm. These people relinquish control of their own actions, their own thoughts, their own movements, and all of that to the control of the person who is putting this music on. And they had control of them. The crowd is easily controlled, and a crowd is easy prey for false gods and false teachers. Jesus understood that, and because that, he tells us that we are like sheep that wander aimlessly without a shepherd. Mm -hmm. And he wants to give us a shepherd, and he wants us to have that shepherd so that we can have that teaching and get proved so that we too can be a leader in his kingdom. Mm -hmm. He's not looking to hold us back from leadership. What he wants us to do is he wants us to be competent leaders because he wants the crowd reached with the gospel so that they too can be a part of his kingdom and be a, uh, a uh, contributing member and subject in his kingdom. Right. All you have to do really to, to look at that, to understand that is to look at history. You can look at um, the way that Hitler was able to 
mobilize the German people um, because he understood how to work a crowd, how to change the minds of the masses. Um, Mm -hmm. Phenomenal orator, obviously a horrible person, but a phenomenal orator. Um, he understood how to control people. Um, if you look at, there's even recorded uh, conversations that um, that the Caesars had with the senators when the Senate was dis- was dissolved in Rome. Um, the conversation went something like this: uh, "We need to control the mob," was what the Senate was saying, and the the Caesar, understanding where his power lied, said, "The mob is Rome." And he understood that if he could control the mob, he could get rid of the Senate. That's how he consolidated power under himself. And so hmm. the mob is easily swayed. The The crowd is easily swayed. If you look at the life of Christ, in one minute they want to make him king. The next minute they want to kill him. The crowd can be swayed very easily and changed very easily. But individual men who you have been able to invest in, whom you have been able to lay the concrete, to put the foundation in, to put the beams in and the rebar in and, and it reinforce the structure, those men are not easily swayed. Those mm-hmm. men and women who you've been able to really put and invest your life in aren't changed by the mob. They're, they're not changed by the crowd. They're solid. And so Christ invested in 11 guys so that, when they began to be persecuted for what they believed in, they said, we cannot but teach and preach Jesus Christ. They, they didn't have an option. It was ground in them. It was part of their foundation. And to, to speak to what you're saying there, yeah, the mob is, is manipulatable. You can manipulate a mob. If you know what you're doing, you can manipulate a crowd. It's not a problem. Great orators have become presidents. They've become kings because they knew how to manipulate a crowd. But that's not how God's work, that's not how God's kingdom is built. His kingdom Mm -hmm. is built by solid, founded people um, who are eventually able to reach the masses. We're not going to reach billions upon billions of people in our lifetime, but we can see those people reached over generations um, by solid foundation. People have been had a solid foundation laid um, in investing in specific people. So, no, it's not your modern church growth process. It's not your modern attract the people in method, mm-hmm. um, but it is the method that God ordained to be done because it's what God the Father sent God the Son to do. And he said, even as I've been sent, so send I you to us. And so yeah. we have the obligation to fulfill the same methods um, that Christ employed on earth in our ministries as well. Another way to say that is we need to lay the foundation that he's already laid we need to continue mm-hmm. to lay that foundation in the generation that we're in because the next generation needs that to continue to have his foundation laid in us. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, again, this discipleship is not us finding one man who is really good at something and doing it, other than we find the God-man who is Jesus Christ who is really good at accomplishing mm-hmm. his kingdom and we are told in First Corinthians that it is going to be his kingdom, and he is going to be victor, and he is going to be king of kings and lord of lords. And so because of that, if we will simply in our time and, and day fulfill the Great Commission, that's taking the gospel to the lost, that's when they get saved, baptizing them into the local church, and then discipling them and teaching them so that they can conform to the image of Christ— 
so they can glorify God with their life and fulfill their created purpose. Now we have this foundation that Christ laid, and we can continue to see it laid so that the uh, competent leaders that he develops, it's not us developing them, it's him developing them through us, Mm-hmm. But we are to be that steward of his commodities, his subjects, so that the masses can be reached. Victory is never won by the, the fans. It's never won by the crowd. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of things in college where it's the, you know, it's the, the uh, uh, what do they call it, the uh, sixth man, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on bas- college basketball, and we need the sixth man, and that's all of the fans in their collective uh, well, if anything is is noted from our COVID era, is that sports can go on without fans. Uh, <laughs> it's an unfortunate truth and truism, but you know, it, teams can win and lose without their fans. But it's the few that put in the time, that have been trained, that have been taught, who have been proven, mm-hmm. that get put on the court or on the field of competition to be able to do the work. And Christ used that same concept here where it's not the masses that he wanted to reach uh, to be the leaders. He wants the masses reached in the sense that he wants the gospel to all of them, but he's going to do it through those leaders that he develops and that he proves. Mm -hmm. And so everything done with the few is for the gospel to be taken to the multitude. Yeah. But it's not the actual method of taking it to the multitude. I mean, I, I just think in a military scenario, when we went, when we sent soldiers over to capture Saddam Hussein from here in, here in the states, when we sent that operation over, did we send, you know, fourteen thousand foot soldiers to assault the compound? No, no, we didn't do that. We could have sent, you know, two million civilians with guns in their hands. And we would, you know, our logic would say the larger numbers, the better. But that's not what we did. We sent in a small elite squad of men who knew all of the tactics, who had all of the training necessary, who had all of the equipment necessary. And we sent that small squad of men in to invade that compound and take him out. And that's because they were a select, hand-picked, well-trained, cemented-in group of men. And... We've got to get out of the crowd mentality. More doesn't always mean better. But rather, we need to invest and train and equip that small squad that God's given us. And then those men can do the job that God's assigned us to do. Yes. Do we want to get the gospel to the masses? Absolutely. It's, it is about getting that harvest. But when Jesus said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, he he said that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. He did not say, you know, that we would have better equipment for the harvest yeah. or that we could harvest them faster. That's not what he was after. He wasn't after a better tractor or a better scythe. He was after trained laborers. And so our job as ministers of the gospel, yes, is to give the gospel, but it's also to teach and to train individuals because his method is not to reach that large harvest by reaching the, the you know, you, you don't go out and try to cut down each individual ear of corn. What you do is you train a whole bunch of men, as many men as you can, but you, as many as you can handle, teach and train those men, and then send them into the harvest. 
So I think we've covered that about as effectively as we can. So thank you for listening. I hope we didn't ramble too much. And uh, we we appreciate you listening. If you have any questions or comments, again, please reach out to us. Um, or if you have any content that you'd like for us to cover, subject matter, please feel free to reach out to us. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. So again, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you. And we'll talk to you again next week. God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of General Order 4. On next week's episode, we're going to talk about Is the Pulpit Enough? If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R. Or on Twitter at General Order the number 4. Please like, share, comment, and subscribe.